I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28, I'm going to read verses 10 through 17. Before I read these verses, just remember the context. Jacob is on his way to Haran in Padamaram. Rebecca has sent her son Jacob uh, to, to, to flee from the threatenings of his, of his brother Isaac, I'm sorry, his brother Esau. Uh, Esau, Esau. As far as Esau is concerned, Jacob has stolen the blessing that rightly belongs to him. And so Rebecca urges Jacob to flee. And then, and then Isaac has, has sent Jacob to the same place in order to find a wife from among their extended family in Haran. So, so Jacob is, is about to venture out to this new and unfamiliar place, and that's important to recognize because something really significant happens to Jacob early on in his, in his journey. So let's pick it up. I'm going to read verses 10 through 17. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of God of heaven. This is the Word of God, and it is for our good. Let's pray. Father, we pray that, that this particular Word would sink deeply into our hearts, that You would open up our eyes to see You and Your ways a little bit more clearly that our hearts would be transformed and that we would be equipped to more faithfully follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This passage unfolds very simply in three parts. First, in verses 10 and 11, Jacob goes to sleep. Uh, it says that he left Beersheba uh, 
Abraham had, had once settled in Beersheba, and then more recently, Isaac and Isaac's family had settled in Beersheba, and presumably, that's, that, uh, that, that's obviously where the events of chapters 27 and 28 had taken place. And so now Jacob sets out from Beersheba. This is in southern Canaan, okay? And he's traveling north. He's got about a 500-mile journey to Haran in Padan Aram or in, in Syria. And it's interesting because Jacob is basically traveling in the reverse direction that Abraham traveled. Do you remember? Abraham left Haran in Genesis chapter 12, verse 4, and he traveled to the promised land, to the land of Canaan, from the north to the south, okay? And he, you know, he, he stopped in various places along the way, including one of the places where Abraham stopped in Genesis chapter 12 was in an area between Bethel and Ai. And if you read down to, to verse, in our passage, down to verse 18 and 19, you know that it's actually in the, in the Bethel area uh, where, where, where Jacob is. Uh, this is about maybe 60 or 70 miles north of Beersheba. So this is relatively early in his 500-mile journey to Haran. And early in his journey, he, you know, the, the, the sun is going down. It's time for him to lodge for the night. He finds a place to, to, to sleep puts a, a stone under his head, and retires for the night. In the next, in the next section, which is the, the real meaty part of, of this passage, in verses 12 to 15, the Lord appears uh, to, to Jacob and speaks to him in a dream. N notice the word behold occurs three times verse 12, and behold, and then in the middle of verse 12, and behold, and at the beginning of verse 13, and behold, what, what Jacob sees in his dream, initially he receives what you might call visual revelation, and, and, and it kind of it logically builds. First, he sees a ladder now, this word that's translated ladder, this is, the, this is the only time in the entire Old Testament where this word occurs. Could mean ladder or stairway. And Jacob sees a ladder set up on the earth that, that reaches all the way to heaven. And so, so this communicates that, that God, God is establishing this, this connection point, this contact point between earth and heaven. So Jacob sees the ladder, and then he sees uh, angels, the angels of God, ascending and descending upon the ladder. This further communicates that the heavens are open. When, when you see the holy angels show up in Scripture, as they do all throughout the Bible, where God's holy angels are is near to where God is. They, they are heavenly attendants who serve the Lord. They reflect 
His glory. They declare truth. Remember when Isaiah saw the, the seraphs in Isaiah chapter 6, they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. The holy angels declare God's truth, and the holy angels do God's bidding. It says in, in early on in the book of Hebrews that God's angels are ministering spirits who are sent in order to serve people like us, to serve people on earth, those who will inherit God's salvation. So, so, so we know that the angels ascending and descending on this ladder that stretches from earth to heaven further communicates that the heavens are opened, there's contact between earth and heaven, God is near, and something significant is about to take place. Okay? So you got the ladder, you got the angels, and now we knew that the Lord was near. Now, what's the third thing that Jacob sees? And behold, the Lord stood above it, stood above the ladder or stairway. This is the, this is the visual revelation. Now, you'll see this pattern throughout the Bible when men have dreams or visions or other dramatic encounters with God Almighty. Okay, it, it, the pattern is that the visual representations, uh, the, the, the visual revelation is meant to prepare you for the verbal revelation. Keep in mind that spiritual mystics of any age uh, throughout the history of the world, spiritual mystics, what they really crave is the transcendent experience itself. They, 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 they want the visual, they want the dramatic, they want the transcendent. They crave that experience. That's not the way that the Bible works. The Bible communicates that, that God, God's intention is not for you, your, your experience of the transcendent to terminate on the experience itself, on the, the visual or the dramatic, but to actually hear the word of the Lord. So now that Jacob has seen this connection between earth and heaven and the holy angels and the Lord standing above it, now it's time for him to hear the word of the Lord. And the Lord speaks to him. What the Lord tells him uh, basically has, has three parts to it. First of all, in verse 13, it says, it says, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. So Yahweh identifies himself as the God of Jacob's father and Jacob's grandfather. We, we understand that there's a, there's a covenant transmission dynamic that's going on here, that the Lord had first established his covenant with Abraham. And then, in chapter 26, he had reaffirmed his covenant with Abraham's son Isaac, and now it's time for Isaac's son Jacob to take his place as the heir of the covenant. It's very interesting, of course, that the Lord refers to Abraham as Jacob's father. Did you catch that? 
I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father. Of course, in the most technical sense, Isaac is Jacob's father and Abraham is Jacob's grandfather. But the word father doesn't have to simply refer to bi- immediate, your immediate biological father. It can be used in the sense of forefather, founding father, ancestor. And so because God had initially established his covenant with Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, that's, that's the point of connection that, that the Lord wants Jacob to see. Jacob must take his place as a son of Abraham, as a true heir of the covenant. In the rest of verses 13 and in verse 14, the Lord reaffirms and repeats the covenant promises to to Jacob. And all, all, of, all of the things that the Lord says here echo the promises that he had previously made to Abraham and Isaac. It says in, at the end of verse 13, the land on which you lie I will give to you and your offspring. That reflects, that reflects uh, Genesis 13, 15, which says, God said to Abraham, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. The next phrase in verse 14, chapter 28, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. That, that, that reflects Genesis 13, verse 16, when God said to Abraham, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. The next phrase in chapter 28 is that, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And that also reflects what God said to Abraham in chapter 13. He said in chapter 13, verse 14, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are northward and southward and eastward and westward. And then chapter 13, verse 17, arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. And then the, 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 the final phrase, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That echoes what God told Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, when he said in chapter 22, verse 18, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And then what God told Isaac in chapter 26, verse Four, at the end of verse 4, and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So, although, although Isaac, in earlier in chapter 28 and in chapter 27, although Isaac had bestowed the covenant blessing upon Jacob, now the Lord directly reaffirms and repeats the covenant promises to Jacob. And then finally, in the Lord's verbal revelation to Jacob in verse 15, the Lord assures Jacob of his personal presence and personal keeping power. It's a beautiful verse. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. It, it's very common in the Bible to see these kinds of promises given to leaders, 
For example, at the beginning of the book of Joshua, the Lord told Joshua that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And the Lord promised to be with, be with Joshua the whole way until all of the promises were fulfilled. But, but the, the, the heart of this in terms of God's promise to be with, be with His people and to, to preserve His people and to fulfill His promises to His people, it, it rightly applies to all believers. Uh, we know that from Hebrews chapter 13, where, the, where the, uh, those verses, chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, very clearly say that the Lord will never leave or forsake His people. And that's a promise to all the saints. Think about how fitting the promises of verse 15 are. Jacob is on the run. He's fleeing from his brother Isaac. He's leaving home. He's in his 70s. He doesn't have a wife. He doesn't have any offspring yet. He is, he's leaving the protective care of his father and mother. He's traveling to a foreign land 500 miles away. He's going to be spending time with extended family relatives, most or all of whom he has never met. So th that's, a, that's a pretty vulnerable, intimidating experience for anyone to go through. And so it's very fitting that early in his journey, the Lord appears to him and promises him, I, I will be with you. I will keep you wherever you go. Yahweh, the Lord, is not like some localized pagan deity that just operates in one particular geographic location. Yahweh is the Lord of heaven and earth, and He will be with Jacob wherever he goes. The Lord is with Jacob in the land of Canaan, in the promised land. The Lord will be with Jacob in Haran, in Syria, where Jacob will spend the next 20 years. And later on in the book of Genesis, where will Jacob go after he returns to Canaan? Well, then Jacob will go to Egypt, and the Lord will be with Jacob in Egypt too. And just as we sang, the Lord is the promise keeper. You know, if you go back to... Uh, chapter 27, verse 45, Rebekah had promised Jacob, then I will send and bring you from there. She's basically promising, you know, at some point in the future, I will send for you while you're in Haran, I will send for you, and I'll bring you back home. But Rebekah may or may not be able to make good on, his, on her promise. But the Lord will make good on his promise. The Lord will bring Jacob back to the promised land and he will never leave or forsake Jacob, but he will accomplish all that concerns him. By the way, one, one very short little uh, application here. This is 
by no means the main point of the passage, but I think it's worth saying. Parents, you can, you can only do so much for your children. Yes, you're called to equip them, teach them, prepare them, but in the end, your children are meant to launch out onto their own great adventure with the Lord, and there are places that they will go that you can't go. There are circumstances that they'll be in where you can't help them. And so parents need to trust the Lord to do what only He can do for their children. And the other side of the coin is children, children, your, your parents can only do so much for you. There are, there are things that they can't provide. There are ways in which they cannot protect. You have to learn to lean on the Lord. And so as, 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 as Jacob leaves the protecting presence of his father and his mother, he is made to understand that the Lord will be his faithful protector and promise keeper all the days of his life. Finally, as we come to verses 16 and 17, we, we learn about Jacob's immediate response to the revelation that he received. Now, Lord willing, next week we're going to look at verses 18 to 22 where we get a much fuller picture of Jacob's response to the divine revelation. But here, in verses 16 and 17, we get his immediate and first response because he wakes up and he's overwhelmed. It's interesting, uh, the word afraid in verse 17 and the word awesome in verse 17 are related words grammatically. So it's, it's, as, if, it's as if Jacob, it, it's, it's as if he's saying, and he was awed and said, how awesome is this place? Or, and he was afraid, at how, and he said, how, how fearful or how fearsome is this place? This is, this is a standard, normal response when men or women in the Bible have a direct encounter with the Holy God. It's not casual. It's not comfortable, but instead it's disorienting, it's overwhelming, it's awe-inspiring. And for Jacob, in this moment where he's just waking up, and it seems to be still in the middle of the night because verse, verse 18 goes on to say, so early in the morning. So it seems like the, the, this, is still, this is still nighttime here. And for Jacob, what the Lord did in that dream, and where he did it in terms of his physical location in Bethel, which, which he, actually, he actually names the place Bethel. We'll get to that next week. But he, he, he's not really able to differentiate the two. What God did and where he did it in, in, in Jacob's mind are, are, are one thing. Like this, this place, the Lord is present in this place. And where the Lord is present, well... That must be his house. This is, this is none other than the house of God. And, and the fact that Jacob, a man on earth, has had an encounter with the God of heaven, well, th then 
This place must be the gate of heaven, which harkens back to the ladder or the stairway that reaches from earth to heaven, establishing this contact point between someone on earth and the Lord of heaven. Jacob is overwhelmed. And we'll, next week we'll see what kind of impact this revelation has on his life. But I really want to drive home some application from God's revelation to Jacob in verses 12 to 15. And, you know, maybe what I'm about to say, it's, it's good for all of us to be reminded of this, what I'm about to say. It's good for all of us to be equipped with this insight so that we can more effectively minister to others. But perhaps you are here this morning and you are investigating the Christian faith or you're wrestling with what's it really all about. Maybe you're really struggling in your relationship with the Lord and you're trying to get a handle on it. And this passage in multiple ways really drives home a very important lesson, and it's this. For human beings to have covenant fellowship with the God of heaven depends on God's gracious initiative, period. Jacob's fellowship with God in this passage is not something that he manufactures in his own wisdom. It's not something that he decides to do. It's not the implementation of some great strategy on his part. And the passage drives this lesson home in multiple ways that relationship with God, fellowship with God, communion with God, it depends on God's gracious initiative. Let me show you four things in terms of the application here. First of all, All of this happened while Jacob was sleeping. This is important. And it reminds me of what happened in Genesis chapter 15. Do you remember what happened in Genesis chapter 15? When God made covenant with Abraham. Abraham had had, had prepared the animal sacrifices. And then what happened? The sun went down and Abraham fell asleep. And God spoke very important things to Abraham while Abraham was sleeping. And while Abraham was sleeping, we are told that a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the sacrifice. In other words, the presence of God and the promises of God showed up in a very powerful way while Abraham was sleeping. And both passages, Abraham sleeping and Jacob sleeping, show us very clearly that this whole thing is not man's doing. It's God's doing. Lesson, stop your anxious striving and start resting in the promises of God. Okay, a second thing from this text, chapter 28, that really stands out to me, is the latter 
reaching to heaven stands in stark contrast to the Tower of Babel. Do you remember what happened in Genesis chapter 11? Men decided to put their heads together and they were going to build a great city and build a great tower in the city that what? It says in chapter 11 verse 4, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. The, the, the men in Genesis chapter 11, they were seeking to be their own self-promoters, their own self-protectors, and they're going to build something according to their own wisdom and strength with the materials of earth. They're going to build this thing that reaches to the heavens. And God was not pleased. He came down in judgment, confused the languages of the people, and scattered the people all over the face of the earth. Men cannot and will not succeed at building anything that reaches to the heavens. But what happens in chapter 28? God, while Jacob is sleeping in a dream. God sets up a ladder or stairway that spans the whole distance between earth and heaven. And so you see these two ways. Man's attempt to make himself great and reach to the heavens will always end in failure, and it meets with God's judgment. But God's way, his own gracious initiative to set up a contact point between earth and heaven whenever and wherever he chooses. Stop trying to work it out in your own strength and start trusting the Lord to come through for you. The, 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 third, the third indication that fellowship with God depends on God's gracious initiative, not our own, the third indication of that is simply what God says to Jacob. God doesn't tell Jacob to do anything. Let that sink in. The truth is, is that God does tell us to do things. That, 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 that's part of the overall life of faith, to, to walk in obedience to God's instructions. But, but sometimes we are tempted or wired in such a way that we, we gravitate to that as if that's the main thing and the, and the foundation. And it's not. The foundation is the promise of God. I will give, verse 13. Verse 14, your offspring shall be. Verse 15, I am with you and will keep you. I will give. I will be with you. I will keep you. I will perform my promises. I will do these things for you. Maybe someone here this morning needs to hear, stop doing, doing, doing. Stop. And start looking to the Lord and trusting him and his promise what he would accomplish in your life. The, the, the fourth 
the fourth uh, application from this text, well, it's not only the fourth application, the, the fourth indication from this text regarding the application that fellowship with God depends on God's initiative, not ours, takes us to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John chapter 1 is a remarkable chapter. John chapter 1, the beginning of John chapter 1, reflects Genesis chapter 1, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And then you drop down to verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Talk about an open heaven. The, the divine Word, the eternal Creator, the Son of God, the true light of the universe, steps out of glory and becomes man, the man, Christ Jesus, Jesus the Messiah, perfectly embodying the Father's grace and truth. And when you go to the end of John chapter 1, guess what? The end of John chapter 1 reflects Genesis chapter 28. Jesus is starting to gather disciples. And there's a particular man named Nathaniel. And Nathaniel is overwhelmed because Jesus had supernatural insight into Nathaniel's life and character. And Nathaniel's response was, if someone has that kind of supernatural insight into my life, my whereabouts, my character, then he must be somebody really special. So, so Nathaniel says to Jesus, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus replies to Nathaniel by saying his own version of, you ain't seen nothing yet. Verse 50, John chapter 1, verse 50, Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Now look very closely at verse 51. And he said to him, truly, truly I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. A ladder set up on the earth, reaches to heaven. God's doing. It's God's doing. And that ladder or stairway was a shadow of the better things to come. Just as God set up that ladder in Jacob's dream, so of much greater import, He sent his one and only Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in order that the world might have life through Him. He's the Lamb of God who laid down His life as a sacrifice for sin. God's seal of approval is upon His Son. And so you ask the question, well, wh where, where, is the, where is the contact point between earth and heaven today? Oh, it's nowhere in particular. It's not 
Bethel or Jerusalem or any particular physical location, the contact point between earth and heaven, the place where sinners on earth may meet and be reconciled to the Holy One is the Lord Jesus Christ. So, do you want to go to the house of God? Do you want the God of Jacob to speak life-giving truth over your life? Do you want him to be with you and keep you wherever you go? Do you want to stand at the gate of heaven and have fellowship with the Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit? There's one place, the person, Jesus, who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Go to Jesus and meet with God the Father. Let's pray. Father, I pray for anyone who might be really struggling in their relationship with you and they're trying to figure it out and they're frustrated, they're beating their head against the wall. Father, I pray that you would take gracious initiative to open their eyes to the fact that fellowship with God does not depend on human striving, but on the God who shows mercy. And I pray that you would show mercy on them, heal their hearts, draw them to you. Father, I pray for those who already know you, that we would be more firmly established in the truth of your word, that we would never get to thinking that it depends on us but that we would continually lean on, on you, on the everlasting arms, that you would continue to prove faithful to us your handiwork and make our live, lives what you would have them be for your glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.